Militant Grind, the most honorable. Visit MilitantGrind.com. Elevate your journey towards mental health and wellness by joining the Militant Grind Academy today. Discover a community where growth, support, and transformation awaits you. Visit www.militantgrindacademy.com. This is William King Hollis rocking with Militant Grind. Welcome to the Militant Grind Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, Vernon Foster II. He is a mental health advocate and also an author. He authored the book, The Black Man's Handbook to Living with ADHD. Vernon, how are you doing today, sir? What's up, Sherman? How you doing, bro? And I'm amazing, man. Amazing, man. It's good to have you on here. I'm a mental health advocate. Been that way for years when I figured out that the root of a lot of people's so-called like oppression is really them in their own minds. And that's where it starts because I'm a firm believer that it starts in the mind first and then everything else follows. So I was doing some research on ADHD and I was like, okay, I want to see if I could connect with someone that's black that has ADHD, because I do know that like people's experiences and brains are different. So I was like, this is prevalent in you know, other communities. I wanted to hear somebody's story that yeah. looks like me that may be going through some mental health issues. Right. So I, I listened to your podcast and I was just amazed on how many similarities that we both have. And I've been on you for weeks. I've been like, yeah. nah, man, I, I have to talk to you about this because it's as far and few as far as like people that could understand this and that are willing to even talk about it. Yeah. A lot of people have medications and issues that they keep private, but I think that is very incredible that you were willing to share your story, let alone write a book to help other people that will be, that are going through these types of issues. So first I would like to start with us talking about how it was for you growing up. Cause I like to basically start at the root. So usually it's something with childhood, middle age, mm -hmm. things like that. And I've noticed within myself that there were some issues that I had growing up and I was like, why didn't anybody get me some help? Like I was always in the principal's office. I got suspended. I was doing reckless things, things that I look back. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. like I know the dean from every any school I went to, I've always got sent to the principal's office or the dean. And besides like my last year of high school, but other than that, man, it was, yeah. Even the school that my father was a teacher at, I still got sent to the dean. My father worked <laughs> there, so it was pretty, pretty bad. But I'm going to talk about your experience, see if we could talk about some commonalities that we both experience, and yeah, man, let's just have a great conversation about this and spread the knowledge to other people. Dope. Yeah, happy to do it, man. And and thanks for inviting me. the The name of the podcast is definitely how would I say it's it's fitting for your outreach. You're definitely militant with your follow up. Oh yeah, no, nah, seriously, it was. I'm like, hey, Vernon, what's up, man? Happy New Year. Let's <laughs> like, yeah. come on, man, I, I need you. But it, but I look at it more so. This is gonna help me as well as help other people. So. That's how I look at it. So the way I, I like to talk to people that I could learn something from and that yeah. I could pick their brain. And then I know that with that, it's going to help others. Yeah. Well, I'd love yeah. to get into it. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm no different than anybody out there. I'm just a, a regular dude trying to figure everything out. I'll put like an asterisk before I say what I'm about to say, just so everybody knows that my experience is my experience. 
you may have a different experience. Take what you want from this conversation that Sherman and I are having and try it on, right? If something you feel like works or if you want to test something, I tell everybody, hey, try it on like a jacket. If it doesn't fit, just put it in the closet or give it away. Yeah, I grew up as a military kid. My father passed away when I was really young in the military. I was about uh, three. And so we relocated from Northern Florida to Central Florida. And we grew up in this but at that time, it was like a small backwoods redneck town. So we were only one of the, we were one of the only minorities in my neighborhood. And we were the only black family, just to give you some context of what I'm about to say in terms of like education and kind of upbringing. So I was always the token black kid. There's other black kids in my school, but I was like the token black kid athlete. And at a very young age early on, I remember back to elementary school, actually when the teachers would, they didn't really know what to do with me because I was the kid who didn't want to sit still. I was the class clown. That's what I, I took on that label. I was always in the principal's office. I joke that I had my own chair in the principal's office. And I think it was when I was in third, it was, I, I think it was like when I was in third grade going into fourth grade, um, they just, they pulled my mom aside and they were like, Hey, we don't know what to do with your kid. We're going to put him in like a special class. And anybody know black moms, they ain't having that. They don't play around black moms. Hell no, you're not going to send my kid, whatever it takes. It's you, but you're not, you ain't going to tell me what to do with my kid. And and I love my mom. She's great. She's a powerful woman. She raised five kids by herself, essentially. So she's very powerful. But what she did was she pulled me out of that school. This was a public school. The classes were bigger. A lot of kids in there didn't really get that one-on-one focus that I think probably kids with ADHD or that, if, if it's not like that focus, like that attention, it's like they need grace, right? They need educators who have grace. So she moved me to a private school and then I was definitely the token black kid, right? I was like one of three, I think there was like another kid and another dude, a young man, and then another young lady. So three black kids in this entire school of like white mm-hmm. kids. And like, it's, it was pricey to go there too. Even when I went there, it was the same thing, right? It was, it was like Vernon's always in the principal's office, getting into fights. We don't know what to do with him. He's great after school and athletics and all these things, right? <laughs> it's like when he can express that energy, but they just, they just really didn't know what to do with me. Right. And this trend continued to happen all the way up until middle school uh, when i was in middle school i got in some trouble and they actually the print the principal called my mom and said hey we're going to suspend your kid and she was like look you can't suspend him he's just going through a rough time just mm-hmm. whatever i can do if i can just if you can just keep him in i'll come to school with him so my mom came to school with me <laughs> for a week i was pissed I was pissed, right? I was like, my mom's going to come to school with me. She'd drive me to school, go to every class, right? But my mom's cool, right? She played it cool. And it ended up working out for me because all the young ladies at the time, they were like, Brandon, your mom's good. So I ran with it, right? I was like, oh yeah, your boy's got it. My, my mom's cool, right? And I guess where I'm going with that is as I'm going through these phases of life as a young man, and I'm experiencing all these emotions and uh, I'm being put in these boxes and educators aren't sure what to do with me. You know, I just took on this identity of the problem child or the the bad kid, right? And 
smoking weed and hanging out and skipping class right I, I took on those that identity right I, mm -hmm. I took on that identity because I was convinced that's who I was right and no no one really pulled me aside and was like hey man have you ever thought about getting diagnosed for ADHD or any of that so fast forward and I've been through and you, this is I talk about this in the, in the book here I've been through several jobs i think this is a commonality probably mm -hmm. of people who have adhd they just like they it's hard for them to focus on one thing or they're very multifaceted and they want to do a lot of things so i've had several jobs several that i've been fired from several that i've quit several that i've just walked off the job because i was like this isn't for me or just not being able to handle my emotions or not being able to control that having that emotional intelligence fast forward I was 36 working in New York at a tech startup and this, one of the HR guys, he was actually a brother. He was like, Hey man, he, he messaged me on Slack and we got on a call and he was like, Hey, I just, I'm just curious, man. I noticed that you, there's like zo zoning out at the meetings and you're not really focused and you're, you seem like you're not really present is, have you ever got checked to see if you have ADHD? And I was like, no, I actually haven't. And at this time, I was actually having a lot of struggles with my role because mm -hmm. the work that I was doing was not aligned with my skill set. Not necessarily with my skill set. I, I could do it, but it was like very heavy task-based outreach stuff. It wasn't, there are parts about it that I enjoyed. I was basically like a outbound, like SDR. So I would call on podcasters and sign them to our platform and so there's a lot of manual work, a lot of email, a lot of like rudimentary task based work that at that time I knew that wasn't like my strong suit and it just became harder and harder for me to do over time. And I worked in that role for about almost two, two years, eight months. Right. And finally came to a head where he was like, look, man, like he was, he had got word of what was going on. I was already on like probation at that point. And they were like, hey, like you need to get back to your, to, to this, or we're going to have a conversation and there's going to be repercussions. So I go and I take his advice and I, this is when I'm 36 years old, I go and I get my ADHD testing. They go through this process and ask you a, a couple of questions and like, just try to come to a uh, understanding of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And the the woman that was there was like, when she read over the results and she, after she did my interview, she was like, I don't even know how you've gone this long without any kind of help or support. Like she was just shocked. How old she, were you at the time? This is, I was 36. What? Yeah. Yeah. Holy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That was two yeah. years ago, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine, I mean, it shook, it shook me. It shook my mm -hmm. world upside down, but then a lot of things started to make sense. Cause then I, then it's okay. I have ADHD. There's this process, right? It's like the five stages of, uh, I don't know what they call it. The five, I wrote about it in the book, but the basically like you're in denial. So I was like, no, nah, I don't got ADHD. What they talking about? Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been killing it. Like I'm, and I, and I, so I, I, I want, I didn't want to identify with that. I didn't want to accept that was, could be true. Mm -hmm. And so I pushed it away. But as I started to do my research, 
there's actually a study done and they surveyed like 17,000 kids and over, I think this was like a longitudinal study. And over the course of these kids, over several years, they found that of these 17,000 kids that they did this research on ADHD, 69%, 69% of African-American kids and 50% of Latino kids were more likely than their counterparts to go undiagnosed with ADHD um, as as children, right? And mm-hmm. the gap even got wider in like middle school, right? It was like something even crazier, right? It was mm-hmm. like 80 or 90%, something crazy like that. I don't remember the exact numbers. But as I'm starting to do this research, I was like, damn. I was like, damn. Yeah, a lot of us don't take mental health seriously at all say but but then i've also realized that adhd could also reflect to childhood traumas that people Mm -hmm. go through and while you're going through that childhood trauma it basically shapes your brain and then you end up having a disorder because our brains aren't even finished developing until 25 years old so you know I, i also wanted to ask you did you go any go through any childhood traumas how old were you when your father died I was, I said I was four. I was actually two. Sorry. I was two. two. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so, I'm, I know that had to be tough. Yeah. But I don't have any recollection of it. How oh no. It? Just like growing up without a father being. Oh personal. yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. That's fucking, that's trauma. And then mm-hmm. even though I was young, there's this guy, Gabor, I don't, Gabor Monte. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's look him up. He has some really cool stuff that he talks about ADHD did a mm-hmm. really good interview with a guy named Tim Ferriss, but you can also inherit trauma too, right? right? You can, right. There can be people that have experienced trauma around you and you didn't experience that, but mm-hmm. as a result of what, how they're showing up in your environment, you can inherit that. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite sure that uh, there's people in my siblings, my mom, like that was a very traumatic experience to lose my father. And he got killed in the military. That's just, you expect your husband to come home. You expect to see your dad next week and he's not there. That is very traumatic. So mm-hmm. in the same vein of what you're talking about, yeah, like I'm sure that has some kind of impact. Yeah. And it's not amazing because like now, because I've been researching it for a minute and I'm just like, it's not really some things that are set as far as like how these diagnoses can go. But it's more so how that person interacts in society. Say for me, it was hard for me to keep any child for over a year. Like I I always want to quit. Like my third day, I'm like, oh God, this ain't for me. But then I work twice as hard for myself trying to get something off of the ground. And it's funny because I also feel like some disorders end up being a, a superpower for some people. That if they could use it, say autism, Kanye being a genius, but he has bipolar, he's bipolar. Yeah. A lot of people I say, there's this podcast called Diary of a CEO. And that guy, that's actually when I started researching it, because that guy was talking to, a, I think a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist scanned his brain and said that he had ADHD. And then he ended up um, talking about his childhood and how it was for him growing up. And the, the psychiatrist was like, that could also affect your brain and how your brain develops. And I was just like, wow, a lot of us go through these traumas and no one stops and says, maybe you should see a therapist or maybe you should go get some help. It's more, oh, it's going to be okay. Just cope with it on your own. But getting professional help, like I, I used to think that anyone, you know, that goes to a therapist 
It, they must be a crazy person, a seriously crazy person, <laughs> like banging your head against the wall. I think it was just everyday people that just had issues that needed somebody to talk to that right. could give them a per different perspective of it. Because I was just watching the movies like, oh, you're going to see a shrink. You must be going through something really crazy. Yeah. And that's the I think that's a general consensus in our community. I'm glad that's starting to shift. But I know like in my mom's and like my father's like probably upbringing in like their generation, you didn't go to therapy, right? Like it's no. therapy, like what the hell is right. therapy, right? But right. in our generation, we're starting to embrace these tools and things like mm -hmm. that. And yeah, I think that's it. We're taking accountability and, and using these things. And I think it's important for, I don't have kids yet. I don't know if you have kids, but I think it's yes, important to, mm. to start to unpack those things. So we're not repeating the same cycles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Because I was, a, there was a time a couple of weeks ago, I just kept repeating this scenario in my head. And I'm like, why do I keep thinking about this? What is going on in my mind? And I just started to get frustrated. And then I was like, you know what, man, I need to see a therapist because it's just like, I was like, it's not that it's free, but it's covered by my health insurance anyway. So why don't I go ahead and just see what's up? And yeah, man, it was, it's been an amazing experience since then. Like the first time I talked to her versus the second time has been like a dramatic difference and she even seen it. And I was just yeah. like, what? Really? She was like, yeah, you seem different. You seem more engaging. You, you're different. I was like, yeah. oh, okay. Wow. I also wanted to talk about the thoughts of medication because I do know that people that do have ADHD, they're prescribed Adderall or Vyvanse or Ritalin, mm -hmm. one of those. I don't currently take any uh, medication. Mm -hmm. And one, I think if anybody's going to like go that route, the first thing they should do is get a diagnosis. And I'm not a medical professional, right? This is just, again, me just kind of sharing my experience. I would get a diagnosis first because that will help you get some insight and clarity. And then if you're going to go that route, I would definitely seek professional guidance with that. I wouldn't, I know in my case, and it sounds like in your case, like you bought it off of a friend in the past. When I was in college, that was how, that was the only way that I passed yeah. because I would get Adderall. I would take it at 10 o'clock. 9.30, go to the, the library, and I would study through the night. I would just stay up and cram. And that was the mm -hmm. only way that I could sit down to like focus on tests. So that was my experience with it. I haven't taken it like really since college, but I my I have a brother who he is subscribed. I'm not sure what, like if it's Adderall or Vyvanse. He's subscribed it. And yeah, like he has his experiences like it helps support him, but on the back end, there's a lot of like emotions. Like he doesn't feel like himself or there's a, I don't know if it's like a come down or. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, for me personally, I found that, and I talk about this in the book, I found that the thing that kind of helps me stabilize is a very intense uh, workout and a, a good morning routine. So whenever I'm doing those two things in a, in a calendar, that's mapped out by the hour, at least for the first four or, or four, three to four hours of, of the day, like for work stuff. So this is idea called time blocking. And then I set timers. So right. between those things, that is like the equivalent for, of, for me of my medication, because mm -hmm. when I don't do those things, I find that I'm just all over the place and I'm spiraling and I'm jumping from here to there in my device. Everybody has to find what works for them. I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't tell somebody like, 
oh, like medication is bad. You shouldn't take it. Don't do that. The pharmaceutical companies are trying to just make money off of you because mm. I know how hard it is for uh, people like us who have ADHD, who have autism. Like it's like going into a fist fight with right. one hand tied behind your back and a leg tied behind your back. Right. So you're, it's just because ADHD in my experience affect all aspects of your life right it's not mm -hmm. just your work it's your marriage it's your relationships it's right. family it's how you communicate it's your emotions so whatever you can do to help support you I'm an advocate of people figuring out what that is for them but me personally I don't at this time currently take medication okay yeah and I can respect that because one thing I have noticed after talking to professionals and doctors it's like different things are going to have a different effect with each and every person. Mm -hmm. And like say for your brother, he might take it when he takes it, he has an emotional, but then somebody else might take it. They'll be fine. And I'm starting to see that it's a here, take this and see how you feel. We can't tell you how your body is going to react and yeah. tell you how your body's going to feel. You have to let us know that. But one thing I will tell people out there is that just be as true as you possibly can with how you feel when, if you do decide to take medications and things like that. And if it's too heavy, stop. If you're feeling some kind of way, stop, go back, talk to the psychiatrist and see if there, see if any adjustments can be made. But some people say, okay, they told me to take it. I'm going to take it no matter how I feel. And this, these are, this is a result of that. So and that's one, excuse me. That's one thing that I have learned is that they're there to help you, but they only know what you tell them. And that's a tricky thing about it because <laughs> it's like nobody wants to tell the truth. Right. So with that being said, I was like, you know what, man, I'm just going to keep it real on how I'm feeling and I'm going to let them know. And that actually ended up helping me. But now I'm like, whatever it is, I'm just going to trust the process, trust the professionals and go with that. And I just did. And also I want, I don't want anybody to say, okay, I heard that this helps this person, like a certain, certain drug, like if I have Adderall, I'm going to be smart. If I have Adderall, I'm going to study all night. And like, that's not really the case for everybody. And sure. it could definitely cause you damage if yeah. you abuse it that way. So don't go in there telling them all these things just so you can get it because it could cause you more harm than good. Because basically it, you know, it uh, goes into your body and it gives people what they're lacking. But if you're not lacking it, then it's going to be doing something else to you. Yeah. My understanding of it is that it supports with executive function and right. um, executive function is like your brain is like for people with ADHD, like they're um, it's like something with the frontal lobe. And I, I may not be saying it. Yeah, no, that's right. Directly. Yeah. But like you just it just doesn't it just doesn't turn on. Right. So like mm -hmm. with the, with these types of medications it like turns on and so helps support your executive function, like short-term memory, being mm -hmm. able to start and finish tasks, follow through, things like that. And which I think is something important to talk about. Uh, I don't know where you're going next, but I definitely- No, go ahead. Like the, go ahead. That is- the, the idea of being a procrastinator and lazy. And, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I came away from this experience is just to have more grace for myself because so much of my life I've been so hard on myself. Vernon, you're a fuck up. Vernon, you screwed up. Mm -hmm. You're a piece of shit, right? Like I used to say these things to myself, right? And if I had a friend that said those things to me, they wouldn't be my friend, 
Mm-hmm. Right. So how can I speak to myself like this? But I didn't know. I, di- I didn't know that I had challenges with executive function. I didn't know that I, if I'm going to start something that I need support, I, I, I should probably hire an assistant. I didn't know that just because everybody is doing something a certain way that, and they make it look easy, doesn't mean that, that I'm going to be able to do it exactly like them. And I would judge myself for that. And there was a lot of, I don't know, if I'd say self-hatred. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would say that a lot of self-judgment and being super critical of myself, seeing a lot of people that of my peers having success, having relationships, having things and that I didn't have and comparing myself and being like, what the fuck's wrong with me? Sorry if I'm just. If no, oh, you're good. And so I had there. there's a lot of work that I had to a lot of therapy, a lot of healing that had to go into me. And I was already doing this before I got mm-hmm. my diagnosis, but a lot of that stuff had to, uh, there was a lot of unraveling and undoing of a, a lot of that um, self-talk, right? And a lot, right. of, because how can I move forward and grow and have success if that's the mentality that I have, right? If I'm critical, if I'm judging myself. And I, I feel like a lot of people out there maybe better listen to this. They may be experiencing those things. Like, why do I just jump to one project? Why can't I finish why do I can't stay at a job? Why can't I keep money right. in my bank account? And, and if you if you take that on and you're like, because of this, I am a loser. Because of this, I'm a fuck up or I'm a screw up or I'm a problem child. That could lead to a lot of dark places, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to call that out because I think that piece doesn't really get talked about a lot, right? A lot of right. people. And it's hard because... You, like you were saying, you, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to go first. And mm-hmm. no one wants to be the first person to go. It's, I'm, no, yeah. I'll wait till somebody else goes, but I'm not going to be the first one to share my shit. Oh, no, I'm me. Yeah. Yeah. And usually that's how it is. It's, you have to see someone else do it. And then then people get inspired. But I'm, I often tell people it's okay to be the first. Like it's okay to say, okay, I'm going to do it. And then whoever wants to follow, okay, cool. And that's always how I've been. Like I've always done things and experienced things that were outside of my circle of influence. I say, I went to a heavy metal concert for one of my favorite heavy metal bands. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get in the mosh pit. And then I saw the mosh pit. I was like, oh no, oh no. That's not the kind of mosh pit that I, we used to, I went to school in the South. So we used to throw balls and stuff like that. But then I was like, no, these dudes are in there going crazy. But then it was like, okay, I'm going to challenge myself and have these experiences for me. You know what I mean? But, and I do that as an exercise to basically challenge myself to all, to never be afraid to take the leap. It's like an exercise that I do. So I do the Spartan races. I'm the only person that I know as far as like people I grew up with that does them. People say, oh man, yeah, I'm going to do it with you. And they never show up, you know, all the time. So I, I can see that. Is that the medals in the background? Yeah, yeah, those are the medals in the background. Say I go there and I see teams of 30 people when I'm by myself. I went, I probably, the I went with two other people when I first started and then one other person, but usually it's okay, I'll just do this by myself and whoever wants to come, cool, but usually it's always just me. But I do feel like we have to, we have to do an exercise where we're constantly the only person just so we won't be afraid to take leaps and to be vulnerable at times. Cause that's honestly a vulnerability exercise. And I'm thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. And that I'm sure that exercise of being in the mosh pit or being probably one of the few black people out there 
Maybe, maybe not, but I'm just imagining it could be, right? I don't know a lot of brothers who are doing Spartan races. That has set you up probably to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take on this opportunity to have a conversation with my therapist and get real and not mm -hmm. try to hold back. And that's going to allow me to make progress and have growth. Right. So that's growth. Right. That's what I hear, growth. And that's how, and we always have to challenge ourselves to grow. And going back to what you were talking about, I also was just trying to do the therapy myself. Man, why do you always think like this? My thought process is always, it seems to be negative, but then I grew up in such a negative environment mm -hmm. with due to childhood trauma and what do you call it? Verbal abuse, a, a sure. lot of verbal abuse. So oh, yeah. when you're growing up with all of that verbal abuse, oh, you ain't going to be shit. You ain't going to do this. It's always what you're not going to do versus what mm -hmm. you can do. And then those that voice gets into your head and it starts to dictate sure your life because say if that's all you've been listening to that's all that's going to come into fruition so it's not necessarily us sometimes it was more so the people that we around that put okay. these thoughts in our brain and we have to basically eliminate ourselves or set boundaries so we could grow and i've learned that's one of the hardest parts when it comes to dealing with a disorder. Say if someone's giving you grief, no matter who it is, it could be your parents, brother, sister, cousin, whatever, you have to set a boundary for yourself so you won't always be triggered. So say, I would say there's a lot of people out here. Generally, people are nice, but you will be surprised how some people are just living on the edge and just ready to snap. And they will snap based off of how you treat them and if they feel disrespected and things like that, like you could go up to a guy, he'll shake your hand and, hey, man, have, have a good day, man. Good seeing you. Next thing, somebody walks past him and brushes his shoulder and he shoots him in the face. It's like that could really happen. But then I'm just like, it's amazing how the human mind is based off of my observations on how people interact. And I'm just like, wow, a lot of people out here have a lot of trauma and sure. a lot of things that they're holding on to that they don't know how to handle. Yeah. No, yeah. I feel that. I feel that. I feel like we don't get introduced to these things, right? You don't take trauma 101 in high school, right? Or in right. college, right? It's almost like you have to be at a point where, A, you're just down and out and you're like, I got to figure this shit out. Like, mm -hmm. I, I want to change my life. Mm -hmm. Or you have to almost have somebody give you the wisdom, give you the game. But then you still have to be open to that. Right. But in my experience, no one came to me and was like, Vernon, here's the game, right? Here's, it mm -hmm. was more like, I just wanted to do better. I knew I had to do better. It's, my last name is Foster, right? That means something, right? Mm -hmm. And so I can't be out here in these streets wilding out and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, right? I have to, I, I get to, not have to, I get to be a light right? My name, mm -hmm. Vernon, means full of life. I get to be full of life to show others that what's possible. I get to be a conduit of possibility, right? Not just in my community, my family, right? Like, and for myself. So mm -hmm. I, I I think for the, it's unfortunate that these things aren't given to us as supplemental material with all the other things that the Hey, go to school, get a degree, right? Cool. You got a degree, but if you've been in toxic relationships your whole life and you've had toxic bosses your whole life and degree ain't going to change nothing, right? right? It'll get you in the door, but it might not keep you there.
So what keeps you there is the tools, right? What keeps you there is the mentorship. What keeps you there is having faith in something, right? I'm not saying people have to believe in God, Buddha, or Allah, right? But I feel like if you have some kind of roadmap, some kind of something to like the guide you, even if it's just a mentor, that's going to help you. That's going to help you in life, right? Mm -hmm. Versus not having those tools or mentors or guides or things to look to. Yeah. That does make sense, though, because I know a lot of people with degrees and some people without, and that really can't dictate their life if they haven't done the inner work. And it's, a, you know, that's pretty, you know, like I said, it's it's funny that you said that's not a, a deep conversation about that, where it's say if the kid, rich kids will get neglected and their parents don't have time to spend time with them and the kids are spoiled. So they start taking drugs and things like that. Right. Then you have a kid from the ghetto, the inner city who, do, who doesn't have much, but their parents show them love, show them support and give them affection and attention. Both of those kids are going to have two dramatically outlooks in life that have nothing to do with money. It was more so how they're being treated. So say my cousin, yeah, in their environment. So say if we're rich and our parents are on opioids and we could steal it from them and take the opioids at school, kids are overdosing and things like that. You have a kid in the inner city that can't afford opioids and their parents aren't on it, but their parents take them to church, they're loving and things like that. The kid that is the rich kid is going to not really have a successful life. And I've seen that with my own eyes. It's, uh, it's amazing how that works. And I was just like, you know what? We've been taught that money can make the biggest difference, but it's more so the inner workings in our mind that will make the biggest difference in everyone's life. So that's one of the reasons why I am a mental health advocate. And I'm also about like money, community, things like that, because we do need that to survive. But mm -hmm. I definitely do feel like it, the mind has to be first, foremost, before anything. Yeah, no, 100%. If you can have all the money in the world and still be broken, Mm -hmm. You might not be broke, but you can be broken. And the opposite is true. The right. Other. So it's, I, he always want, it always, I don't know if it annoys me or if it's a man, like, how do we, like, where do we go wrong? It's America <clears throat> and the Western countries that are mm -hmm. developed and they have people could go out and make a good living for themselves and be successful. And right. And I'm just talking in a broad sense, right? I'm not talking about specifically our community because we have different challenges and a lot of things that, we had to overcome that are that are different from our, our our other brothers and sisters out there. But specifically in the context of like Western developed societies, why is it that people have so much and have so much opportunity and they have everything they could conceivably need, mm -hmm. yet they're still unhappy, mm -hmm. yet they're depressed, that they're committing suicide, drug overdose, alcohol abuse. What's going on, right? It's it, that's the real game, right? It's the mental game, mm -hmm. right? Because I think we have enough data to show that it's not just about those things, right? Mm -hmm. Those things are important, right? Like you want to have a home, you want to have food. Like I'm not discounting those. I love money. Money allows me to take my wife on vacation and do fun things and go snowboarding. But again, going back to like, why aren't we given the tools? Why mm -hmm. aren't we given the resources? Maybe it's intentional. I don't know right maybe, maybe it's not right right but it's just as important to have those things as it is money and success right, right. because the money and success if you don't have the other stuff what's the money and success good for right yeah 
Yeah, and the older I get, the more I'm seeing that. It's something that we definitely need to pay attention to. I also wanted to talk about some takeaways uh, from your book and about your book, yeah. The Black Man's Handbook to Living with ADHD. So mm -hmm. first, I want to um, ask you, why did you want to separate it and say The Black Man's Handbook? So that study was part of my research when I mm -hmm. uncovered, when I got my diagnosis and I started to do some research. I found that study and I said, this is, I have to do this. Like, it's extremely important because no one's talking about it. Right. I mean, there are people talking about it, but there, there aren't any, there wasn't, there were, there are not a lot of, if any books and specifically for black men. I know that it's talked about in white communities. Mm -hmm. I know that it's talked about in women communities. Mm -hmm. But in black communities, especially like the like black men, I don't know that it's talked about as much as it, it I feel like it should be. Right. And it's I just I think it's a critical thing that we have to come to terms with, even if like right. it's unsexy and it's it, it makes it and we may feel like it, oh I'm dying with that shit. I ain't trying to be weak. It's like a lot of these paradigms we have to shift. Mm -hmm. So I felt like by sharing my story. I could be a catalyst to helping people that look like us. And see, okay. And that's how you want to single it out. I get that. And so what yeah. are some takeaways from your book? Yeah. So it's, it's actually ADA friend, ADHD friendly. <laughs> it's not a long <laughs> book. I read, I have like books that I've never read. I don't know if you're, I like, I'll read like some books and then I'll just put it on the shelf or my wife's mm -hmm. like, you got all these books and you don't read them. I'm like, I got to read the audio version. Cause that's the one I can finish. Um, <laughs> It's short. It's 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 more of a handbook. I, I think of it like when you go in the doctor's office and they mm -hmm. have those like pamphlets, like where it's here's step one, here's step two. It's like yeah. that, but it's not as clinical and it's more like fun. And but yeah, so the the tagline or the subtitle is five ways to create a better tomorrow, no matter how you're feeling today. Mm -hmm. So I think for me personally, my my journey with ADHD has been like a lot of coming to terms with feelings and how am I feeling? And sometimes I don't feel good. Sometimes I don't feel well. Sometimes I'm excited. Sometimes I'm sad. Sometimes I'm nervous. Uh, sometimes I feel like I have anxiety. So I basically shared five things that I feel like could be super universal and anybody could take in, just start to understand their journey and unpack what it looks like for them. The first one is obviously get a diagnosis. There's a, there's another one in there, like support, right? Understanding where you can get that support, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a psychiatrist, family member, loved one, mm -hmm. right? And because I think that support system is key, right? Even right. if it's just going to join, there's ADHD communities now and things popping up. ADHD coaching, right? I've never done that, but I guess that's a thing now. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think the support is key. And then another one I'll give you, uh, people want to go get the rest they can go get the book but like tap into the tools right there's so many tools out here that we can use for, that are free right so for example i gave you this i was telling you like my medication is mm -hmm. mindfulness and meditation the days right. that i meditate the days that i do my yoga it's completely different than the days that i don't right like mm -hmm. i'm on one i feel good i'm in my body like i feel present i feel like i'm clear i feel calm I don't feel like my emotions are getting the best of me. I'm navigating conversations that may not go how I intended them to go. What else is in there? The Pomodoro technique, right? So this is the idea of setting a timer for a task. 
setting a timer for 25 minutes, taking a five minute break, then setting another timer for 25 minutes. I, I have time blindness. I don't know if you've ever heard of that word, but it's basically, I have no concept of like how long something is going to take or how short, right? So mm -hmm. if you say, hey, how long is it going to take you to do, to write this paper or to get this invoice out? I'd be like, oh, it'll take me five minutes. Right. But that's probably not true. It'll probably take me longer. It'll probably take me less. I, I just, I, I don't have a, a, a thing with time. I'm often, I was late for, and this, this shows up a lot with people with ADHD. They're late for things a lot, or they're like, Oh, I've, I've missed, I think, eight flights in my life because I just, mm -hmm. I'm not good at being, my, my brain doesn't compute time. So I set timers, I set reminders, I take notes, copious notes. I have notebooks, I have uh, a, a notion thing with everything in it. So these mm -hmm. are tools that I use that without these tools, I wouldn't be able to, it would be just a lot harder for me to make it through life and function because as a neurodiverse human, right? Like my brain just doesn't, it just doesn't operate like, like other people. Like my friend, yeah. he's, he remembers everything. He never has to take notes. He, he's just, but he's not neurodivergent, right? So mm -hmm. it's, his brain just works differently. And it's not that I'm better, he's better. It's just that I need to create systems and processes that support me yeah. in order for me to get the things done that I need to get done and to handle my obligations and commitments. And those are just some of the things that have worked for me. And what's interesting is that uh, these, a lot of these things I was doing before the diagnosis, I just mm -hmm. didn't know why I did them. I was like, why do I take, why do I always have a notebook around just like hanging out? And it's because yeah. like, my short-term memory, I don't remember things like as clearly as like other people might. Right. But I have, if I have my journal and I have bullet points, I can go back and be like, okay, cool. Yeah. And my Apple notes, right? Like, why do I have to take notes in my Apple notes? It's because, okay, if I'm out and I don't have my journal, if I'm out on my phone, what was that thing I was at? Okay, cool. Yeah, that was the invoice I was supposed to send to the client, mm -hmm. right? The thing that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. I have a whiteboard. I have a calendar with every, like, colors, sticky notes, all of that stuff, right? It's my brain likes those things. It's fun. It's It gravitates toward it, right? And so those are just some of the tools that I've talked about in the book and that I think would support people, right? Outside of the medication and, and other stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Cause usually, you know, I like say if you and somebody's looking at something, they'll be like, you don't remember what? No. Like everybody's <laughs> brain works differently. Like you pulled out a notebook. Look, I have one right here. Yeah. Will, <laughs> it's called the will do list. So anytime I get a task, I just write it down there. I have scratch paper. I have a notepad. Yeah. I have, Look, all within reach. The index cards, I have everything. My whiteboard's right there, but I can't turn the camera around. But this is just like how I function. But I'm like, no matter if someone comes in here and says, why do you, da, 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 it's not, it has nothing to do with you. It is me. Yeah. And so once I figured that out about myself, what works best with me? Some people aren't visual learners. I say for me, the best way for me to learn is if I'm writing it down. Yep. I pass every standardized test, I real estate license, insurance license, all of those licenses. When I slow my brain down by writing down the information by hand. And that was the only way that's been the only proven way I could remember things. So I used yeah. to have notepads and I'm just writing down insurance laws and this is that and the third. And even uh, my, my mortgage license, the same thing. And then when I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay. Cause when I would fail, 
and I failed a, like a couple times, I'll be pissed. But then I'm like, you have <laughs> to study the way you've always studied. Studied, yeah. Yeah, like some people could watch a video and answer some questions and get it. You cannot. That's not so self discovery and how we could function is very important, man. And yeah, I'm glad we could relate to that, bro. Because I have so many notebooks, so yeah. many notes. I'm, I probably need to take a couple hours and just go over some of the things I've written down over the years. I'm like, oh, that was a good idea. But if someone was to come in my office and read my notes, they'll hit a gold mine. <laughs> That's funny. I think yeah. it also uh, helps get things out of our heads because mm -hmm. in my experience, I don't know if this is you, I have a lot of ideas. I have a mm -hmm. hundred and I joke in the book, I say I have 156 unfinished projects, books and things. It's like, every time I see something, I'm like, that's a podcast or that's a book or that's right. a project. And it's, I know I can't do all of those things, but I find that if I write them down, I give them kind of a place to live and it's not in my head and clogging it up with all the other stuff that I have to be working on or that are that I'm thinking about, right? It's just the creativity is always, I think we're very creative people, right? It's just, it's just always, there's always some, like my brain, I told my wife, if you want me to figure, if you, my brain solves problems, right? So until you, until there's a problem presented to me, then I won't, I can't really focus on the task, but if it's a problem, my brain automatically, it's like the Rubik's cube things from back in the day, my brain automatically tries to start finding a solution to the problem. And this is also why I think people with, you said earlier when we were talking that people with, I think you said with uh, bipolar disorder and mm -hmm. autism, dyslexia, ADHD, the list goes on. Some of the be best entrepreneurs in the world, right? right? Just because, and I don't know if you're an entrepreneur, I'm just assuming that you do something in sales or business or, yep. but it's really fascinating that there's a correlation between those two things. Mm -hmm. Yep. Elon Musk has a Asperger's, a form of autism. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy because I, I remember mentioning it to my friend and he was like, duh, no, have you ever watched an interview? Like he's socially awkward as hell. Like the way Very he socially talks, awkward. everything. Yeah. And that made me get his book. And I, I, once I got his book, I was like, oh yeah, he definitely has. You know what I mean? If you're up on those disorders, but then does he use that as a strength to create these companies to focus to basically he's not interested in all of the stuff that the typical person is which gives him the drive an to, advantage. to focus yeah it gives him an advantage while people are partying he's no i'd rather be in here coding be like okay weirdo go ahead <laughs> you know what i mean but then, now those you know, people are running the world yeah yeah no. who's cool now <laughs> hello i'm sending rockets to space and he talked about how he got bullied and beat up and tease and all of that stuff just because he was different he didn't take a part of the same interest as everybody else but yeah man I'll, yeah now that you said i think being neurodivergent is a advantage for some people but then it's a disadvantage like in other places yeah because i say some people but then i don't feel like the disadvantages for some people are like it can be a disadvantage if they don't care about it if they don't feel internally that it's a disadvantage to them because say for me if i don't want to go to a club or anything like that i don't feel like i'm missing out because i don't like doing those things if you like doing those things and you want to be on the scene and dance and drink and take shots and that that's good for you but that's an advantage for you but it's not an advantage for me the importance of, again the importance of self-discovery 
and knowing ourselves and being vulnerable and brutally honest with ourselves and what we want and not conforming to society's standards will definitely help all of us. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. I think when I've gotten <clears throat> it's I have this poster that I bought and it was like, I haven't hung it up yet, but it says you don't have to be anybody but yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a great reminder because I think the times where I've gotten off track or things haven't worked out for me have been outside of me just being stupid and like reckless have been when I've gone against my intuition and myself and what I know, right? It's if I know that I'm supposed to be taking notes and that works for me and somebody's like, why would you do that? Stop taking notes, Vernon. You don't need to take notes. Remember this. Remember, we'll just focus on this conversation. Right. When I stray away from what I know is true for me and what Mm -hmm. works for me, that's when I typically get into these situations where I'm like, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. So I I, I just want to hit on an echo that know thyself, lean into your skill sets, lean into your weirdness or whatever it is that you, your genius, however you want to call it, is key. It's essential because the other ways I tr- I tried the other way for so long. It's just, it doesn't, I have a lot of evidence that that's not work for me. A lot mm-hmm. of evidence. Yeah. A lot of evidence. Yeah. And closing, bro, this has been a, a great conversation. You know, some of my takeaways from it is basically we all have our own story. We all have our own issues, our own problems. And to really discover yourself so you could be great in the world and just do the things you do, just being yourself, like, I feel like that's powerful. And I often thought, uh, I thought about this the other day. So I'm an introvert, right? I took the Myers-Briggs test and I'm an introvert. And when people are popular, you often say that they're an extrovert, right? Oh, they like people and things like that. And the introverts are the quiet, weird ones that don't talk to anybody and things of that nature. Then I thought about it. I was like, man, everywhere I go. I see somebody I know or somebody knows me. And it's like always like an endearing conversation or effect. You know, I'm talking about, I could, man, I could travel anywhere and somebody be like, sure, sure. Especially if I hit LA, sure. What up, man? Hey, and you would think that I was like the most outgoing (laughs) extroverted person, but I'm really not that. I'm really an introvert. And I just have these one-on-one connections with people and it's memorable to them and I'm personable with them. And I guess that impacts people in a kind of way. But then I was just like, it's crazy because say me and my friends, we were, I went to Morehouse in Atlanta and one night we were like, okay, we just kind of up and drive to Howard for, for our spring break. And we was like, okay, yeah, let's go to DC. So we left that night and we pulled up to Howard. And as soon as I got out the car, I heard somebody saying my name and I was like, what? And they were like, Sherman people out here too. And there was somebody I went to high school with. They were like, hey, Sherman. And they, if you ask them, they're like, man, this dude knows everybody. Like when I went to New York, somebody, Sherman, they're like, what, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> but I, I've learned that I can't subscribe to societal norms and what people think that these things are. Because once I took the test and I was an introvert, and then that had me like define who I am as an introvert based off what they said. But I'm like, nah, you could be an introvert and still have friends and be popular and yeah. things like that. Nah, that, we can't describe it. This is something else that has to do with you. All it means is that basically you have an introverted way of thinking. And it's yeah. just funny how 
life is not a one size fits all. And I, I often tell people that. Never, never. It's, yeah. It's almost the complete opposite, actually. Man, the complete Doesn't opposite. Fit, will not fit everybody. Waste dependent depends on where you grew up. <laughs> Man, it's not so seriously. Many, it's like the commercials, the drug commercials, where they say could cause bloating, liver disease. So if somebody gives you a one size fits all, you better have those things, right? Because it might not be for you if you were this or this or taller, shorter, right? Because it's just yeah. not true. Yeah. And I feel, and I also deal with that, man, because I have younger brothers. We're all different. We have the same parents, grew up a year apart, and we all do different things. So it's not, it's just crazy how it is. But I tell people, you just have to figure out who you are and then proceed like that, man. So yeah, I appreciate who you are, bro. I yeah. like that you're the, the vulnerable person that you are to go out here in the world, spread awareness, spread your truth. You're not a big fan of medication. But I like it a little bit. But then it's what's going on. Like that will work for me, but then it may not work for you. Not yeah. to say like I'm a big fan of medication, it's just an example. And yeah. then that's okay. What works for you will what'll work for someone else will work for someone else. That's just how it is because these type of neurodivergent disorders affects people differently. So yeah, man, I appreciate that. And a good job on writing a book. I Thanks, wrote man. a book myself. It's definitely for people with ADHD. It's pretty, it's probably like 60 pages, but it's very impactful. Everything that you read is going to be impactful. It's not just fluff. What's but, the name of it? Oh, here it is. From Grit to Greatness, Harnessing the Five Pillars in the Militant Grind. So I basically oh, I have it. five pillars, love, honor, strength, discipline, and wisdom. And I'll just talk about that as being like catapults in your life to help you stay grounded. So for yeah. me, like what you said earlier, I have, bro, I have books everywhere. That's my bookshelf. I have books on top of books. I have books on my desk. But sometimes I'll read a book and I'll just be like, man, this is not catching me. And I feel like they just put fluff in there just to make it a lot of pages. I'm like, God, dog. Like, you'll get hooked by the title and the author. And then you start reading like, man, I'm about to fall asleep. This isn't doing anything for me. So my style is like, look, man, I don't have to really say a lot. But what I say has to be impactful yeah so i'm with you because you said that i was like okay i could definitely get it and finish it now <laughs> you said that it was short <laughs> no yeah no i, I yeah. think we live in a tiktok generation too so like people don't mm -hmm. unless it's an audiobook like i'm not reading 100 and 200 pages and unless it's just really good and engaging mm -hmm. but like in most cases i'm not i have I have books on my floor now. I'm like, I need to finish that. I need to finish that. <laughs> That's also, <clears throat> I'm, I, I embrace that too, because mm -hmm. I think for a while I was just like, man, I can't complete anything, right? I'm a screw up. And it's no, mm -hmm. I got what I needed from mm -hmm. what I read and I don't need anything else at this point. If I go back and revisit it, cool. But just that, even that alone, is just like a small, it's a small thing, but it can completely shift how you view yourself, right? How I view myself. Because mm -hmm. I've, it's you can view it, you can view yourself as a quitter, or I should, I should say I can view myself as a quitter, or I can view myself, or I can just say I got everything that I needed, and I don't need anything else at this moment in time, and I'm good. So, good, like you said, it's okay to try something and figure out that it's not for you. That doesn't mean that you're a quitter necessarily. That means you have the courage to try and figure it out, and you weren't procrastinating. So I, I switched my mind with that because I tell people I try to sell life insurance. I try to do all of these different things. But once I figure out it's not for me, I, I just left it alone. I'm a go-getter. So I went to go get it. 
figured out that it's not much to be gotten and I'm okay. I like that. Yeah, because like they'll say, oh man, you used to do, you tried to do. I'm like, yeah, at least I was doing something. What you, what y'all doing? Yeah, the quick you know, people, like people be the quickest to judge, but it'd be like, looks like you still working at the same spot you was working at 10 years ago. Because if someone else is more so I'll give it a try to see what happens. But other people, oh man, don't be a quitter. So like, man, if I'm not feeling it, I'll, I'll leave it alone because it'll be a waste of time. And then you just have to figure out what's exactly for you. Yeah, that's how I, what, that's how what, I break have, that down. What's, have you figured that out yet? Or do you feel like you've gotten closer to that? Yeah, I have. My goal is to make multi-millions. But yeah, it's just, I feel like it's a process. What I'm doing now is pretty cool. I do project management, of course, my brand, Militant Grind, mm -hmm. coaching and stuff like that. And it's just getting me closer because the more I start to discover and find myself and what I actually like to do and not doing things just for monetary reasons, no matter what it is, it's, that's helping me more because it's like you said, if it's not intentional, I lose interest now. So like some people are like, man, we're making a lot of money doing this. And, but then it, in order to do it, I might have to do something that I don't like, like knocking on somebody's door and going inside their house and talking to them. Like, I'm not going to do that. Selling you know? vacuums. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I have friends selling solar, they go door to door and I tried it. And it was so nerve wracking to me, man. Knocking on people's door, they open the door like, yeah. When you got to try to, hey, no, that's not my style. But you can make a lot of money doing it, though. If you're dedicated to it, you, you can do it. But that's just not me. In my experience, neurodivergent people have to, have to really be passionate about what they're doing. Even if you can make a bunch of money. I've done things where I could have the opportunity to make a bunch of millions. But it's just mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, real estate, right? Not doing that, right? Sales, right? Not doing that. Working for a tech startup. Nah, this is not, this ain't it, right? But mm -hmm. I love this. I love creating. I love speaking to people. I love coaching, creating products, offers. To me, that's joy, right? Like I get yeah. to build something and put it out in the world and see how people engage with it mm -hmm. and make money from it. And to me, mm -hmm. that's, I, I feel like that's what's worked for me. So that, I was just curious. To, that's yeah, it's I'm along the same lines because now I call myself a creative entrepreneur and it's funny that you said because it took me a while to know that I'm a creative because I tried to hold on to this identity being a businessman. But in order to be a businessman, you have to be a creative to some certain extent because you're creating products, you're creating a business, you're creating a name, you're creating all of these different things. And I was so good at that. Like I could do the structure, I could do all of these things, figure it out, get the connections. But then it's like, when it comes to working it, that's a whole different thing. Oh shit, you gotta have all the connections and set up that I need, but I'm not gonna sit here and call people like eight hours a day to make this work. So well, I got to figure, yeah. The beautiful thing about out. that is that you can hire people to do that right now. Yeah. Use tools like Upwork and uh, yeah. Fiverr and it's, and the world is flat in terms of the, in terms of like how you can reach people and hire people in overseas and bigger, big companies have been doing it for years, but like now we have access to that as online entrepreneurs and creators. And it's, I think it's a, we live in a beautiful world, man. I think mm -hmm. this is, if, if we had this stuff back 20 years ago, probably be a different game. And what? these tools, when we knew about ADHD and therapy was something that I was embracing. And like when I was a teenager, Right. Who knows where I would be? And I don't I'll say that with, with regret. I just say that with we live in a beautiful world and I want people to be inspired to go out mm -hmm. and lean into the things that you want to do and want to create for the world, because that's actually a lot less riskier than going to work for a company 
that may not be there in a year or two or that you may get fired from because they don't like the way you look or how you style your hair or that you that you can only focus for four hours a day like they don't accommodate for people who have disabilities yeah i'm a big fan of going for it again i have a lot of evidence that the the other way doesn't work for me (laughs) choose at your own risk go at your own pace but that's that's my truth may not be. yeah and i you know and Hey, I just tell people how I get down and I don't prescribe it to nothing. I'll say they should try this, this, or that. I don't do that anymore at all because everybody doesn't have what it takes to replicate your success or someone else's success. And I've gotten in a lot of trouble in life letting people manipulate me to think that I could replicate what they've done because they've been making money. Man, I know this guy, man, and he make this well. Oh, man, I need to get on that. I could do it too. <laughs> then you try, you'd be like, hold on, I know we had to... I'm not the most enthusiastic person in the world. And I don't like to lie like that to people. And it's, man, I've I seen it, especially being in sales, like the way some sales people could like transform. Man, I'm more so like a real person. That's been a big discovery of mine. Like one of my friends that I was in the, I was in the Morehouse Business Association and I met a guy, Julian Street. I'm still friends to this day. Been knowing me for years, almost 20 years. And he was like, Sherman, you're a creative. And I was like, what do you mean? And then he started explaining to me why I am based off of his observations. He was like, bro, look at your tattoos. Nobody has tattoos like that. Then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I do design my own tattoos. And every time I give my tattoos to my tattoo artist, he's man, what the hell is this? He's always surprised. You know what I mean? So it was like, I always get them with my designs. And he tat- he's been tattooing every day for over 10 years. And I'm always someone to give him something like abstract or different. So I had to really internalize it and stop trying to like put up a face of who I am. Like growing up, I love to draw. Like I drew all day. I drew Bugs Bunny a bunch of times, Batman, Spider. That was my thing, like drawing. I loved it. And when I started reflecting on the type of the way I would think growing up and the ideas I would come up with and how I figure out ways to make money. I'm like, bro, that's creative. That's creation. Now take that by the horns and go. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's good. It's good to talk to a like mind in, in that kind of way. Seriously. Respect brother. Respect. Yeah, man, Vernon, it's been a great conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. If I ever make it to Virginia, I'm going to for sure hit you up. I'm not sure, though. I don't know what's up. I'm going to go to D.C. I'm not sure how far you are from D.C., but. Not too far. Okay, yeah, I'll hit you. <laughs> I'll hit you. <laughs> Bernie, man, where can people find you if, if they want to look you up? Yeah, so great question. So they can check out the book. It's on Amazon, The Black Man's Handbook. The Black Man's Handbook to Living with ADHD. Yeah, and then so I have a new project that I'm working on. Depending on when this release, I don't know, it'll be podcast newsletter. The Million Dollar Creator. So if you guys want to check that out, if you're interested in that journey, and I'm sharing the insider secrets to the new rich, right? People who are getting, making money from what we just said, right? Being creative, flexing their skills, podcasting, YouTube, because I love that world. I think that's the future, right? People are making literally millions from talking into microphones. And I think that's really cool to, for people to be able to do that these days. Yeah. Okay. Man, sounds good, man. So thanks again, bro. Let's keep in touch. And yeah, man, have a great rest of your day. Cheers, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you.